This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Nate Terrell helps his clients recognize the function of their inner voice by having them think about one thing and then switch to another. He explains to them how they can use their inner voice and other strategies he writes about in chapter eight of his book, Achieving Self-Compassion, to detach from their thoughts and the world outside of them to find greater inner peace by tuning in to their authentic selves. Nate defines the authentic self as a permanent part of us that doesn't change as a result of our life experiences, different outward identities, etc. In a nutshell, it is who we are at our most basic level. Nate often asks his clients to close their eyes, journey deep within themselves, and connect with this essential part of themselves. They become more relaxed and centered as they reflect on who they really are and what they can do to remain in their authentic selves. He also encourages his clients to look at pictures of themselves and or read things they wrote when they were younger, to connect with this durable component of their psyche that exists beyond their ever-changing thoughts, feeling, and perceptions. One of his most compelling discoveries is that he can lead a more effective and satisfying life when he exists in his peaceful, authentic self. Rather than forget about his responsibilities, Nate is better able to clearly focus on what he needs to do at any given moment, free from stress or distraction of unwanted thoughts, worries, or fears. In fact, when he enters the friendly confines of his authentic self, Nate always feels like he is coming home to a welcoming and inviting place. Within that is always waiting patiently for his arrival. An important component of our authentic selves is our inner knowing, which exists beyond our thoughts and feelings and provides us with the wisdom we need to take great care of ourselves, respond effectively to the challenges we face, and grow into our best selves. Your inner knowing is always available to you and will never lead you astray, in contrast to our ever-changing thoughts, which we experience at the top of our heads. The message we receive from our inner knowing comes from a deeper place within and provides us with a strong sense of correctness we can't shake. These messages often come out of the blue, but are so compelling that we instinctively follow them with serenity and confidence. Valeria Tellez interviews Nate Terrell, the author of Achieving Self-Compassion, Giving Yourself the Gifts of Happiness and Inner Peace. Nate teaches how we can achieve self-compassion and find greater happiness and inner peace by being our own best friend, developing beliefs that work for us, knowing we are inherently worthy, not projecting our needs onto others, choosing happiness and peace of mind, taking great care of ourselves, tuning into our authentic self, eliminating negative reactions, appreciating what we already have, and enjoying the present moment. Nate Terrell has witnessed and experienced the healing and transformative power of these strategies in his work with clients, 
and his own quest to be more self-compassionate. Many people believe that it is selfish to be self-compassionate. However, there's nothing selfish about eliminating self-criticism, treating ourselves with kindness, feeling worthwhile, being happy, transcending our worries, or finding a peaceful place within. These gifts, which we can give to ourselves at any moment, will fill us with positive energy and caring that we can pass on to others. Nate Terrell very much hopes that you can begin giving yourself the wonderful gift of self-compassion today. To fill your life with abundance, fulfillment, and serenity, you certainly deserve it. Nate Terrell has 40 years of experience as a therapist and currently has a private practice in Malika Hill, New Jersey. He also has a coaching practice and helps his clients to overcome the challenges they are facing, become more self-compassionate, enjoy greater inner peace and happiness, get out of their heads and savor the moment they are in, tune into their authentic selves and inner knowing, achieve personal and professional success. You can sign up for coaching on Nate's website, achievingselfcompassion.com. He looks forward to hearing from you. Finally, Nate provides training on self-compassion, mindfulness, meditation, diversity, and many other related topics. You can sign up for self-compassion coaching on Nate's website, achievingselfcompassion.com. Here's the interview with Nate Terrell. In your own words, who is Nate Terrell? I would say Nate Terrell is an energy that's earnest, that's hopeful, that strives for inner peace, for self-compassion, an abundance of love that I can pass on to other people. It's interesting you ask me that because in preparation for this, I've been thinking a lot about our authentic selves And our thoughts and feelings are always changing. My thoughts and feelings are certainly going a lot of different directions all the time. But when I look within to my deeper, authentic self, I really do see this energy that I've always felt. Um, And it's hard to put it into words, but it's a hopefulness. um, And it's certainly a desire to be a resource to other people in the world. But I've certainly learned over time to take great care of myself as well. So I think I'm very fortunate to have found this place of inner peace within me. Um, And you certainly helped me along the way, for sure. And just to give a little more glimpse into what the authentic self is, how would you describe the feeling? I know you said it's really not easy to put into words, but if you could, how would you translate that feeling, that sensation of being your authentic self? What does it feel like? I think for me, I've always had a lot of energy. So I've always, there's certainly a lot of passion in there. It's not necessarily to be docile and as much as I love in the woods. But again, I use the word earnest, hopeful, searching uh, to some extent, but also recognizing, I guess, my limitations for years. I tried to be all things to all people. Certainly, as I found deeper level of inner peace, um, more private in, in many ways than what I share with, with other people. Ultimately, what I love about being inside my authentic self, it's like coming home. It's And I, I often feel as if, you know, people get bounced around in the world. I love people, but people go up and down. Everything goes up and down in the world. And uh, when I remember to retreat deeply uh, within myself, again, I feel like I'm coming home. I almost feel like this part of me that's cheering me on or welcome back. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. you know, <laughs> glad to see you. We've been waiting patiently for you. 
we all have access to this point at this point within ourselves every single moment. Now, I wouldn't say that to somebody that missed a trauma. You know, if somebody's child was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I'm not going to say, oh, find your inner peace. But the thing I love about our authentic selves and finding our inner peace and inner knowing is we can always access it. It's always present for every human being. And it's such a source of light and love and hope and peace. So it's a feeling, but it's more in essence. And it, and again, it's just, it's hard to explain, but when I'm in there, it feels pretty wonderful, I will say. And it's not permanent, right, Nate? Is that a permanent state of being or it's a practice? I would say it's a practice, but the more I go in there, the easier it gets. Sure, I can, you know, I have ups and downs or especially if I'm tired, you know, I get agitated or frustrated like all the rest of us human beings on this planet. But I have found that I can stay in this place most of the time and still be effective. I think a lot of people fear if I find my inner peace um, that they're going to somehow not be responsive to the to, to their responsibilities. But it's just the opposite. I find I can be in this place of peace and I'm even more tuned in to what's going on around me. Of course, demons from my childhood, my fear I'm turning to my father, those are our unconscious beliefs that come back to torment us sometimes. I'm not always in this place, but the more I go there, the easier it gets. It is really kind of like doing push-ups. It just gets a lot easier through neuroplasticity, through how we change our wiring in our brain. The, the biggest problem I find with my clients and so many people I work with is they just don't focus on it enough. If you've had a lifetime of agitation and anger and frustration, a couple of positive thoughts aren't going to change anything. We really need to do it all the time as a you know, major focus of our lives to really reap the rewards. And how did you uncover the authentic self in you? Did you, do you remember a time, a moment in time? I would say I've always had aspects of it and elements of it, but I think it's almost by a process of subtraction because for a lot of my life, I wasn't very tuned in to ways of being or situations that weren't working for me. I would sort of follow people around a lot and try to convince them to like me or to get me. I used to be a lot more controlling. Um, I used to try to, like a lot of people, create some perfect world around me so I could be peaceful and happy. When you bang into the same brick wall enough times, you kind of think there's got to be another way. So it's for me, it hasn't been so much of like a path towards like a Zen, although I love that as well. It's more been what feels safe, what feels real, what feels energizing in my life. So it's almost because I almost had to learn what didn't work to find what did work, was to let, which was to let go of focusing too much on my thoughts and feelings and really tune into that inner energy. Certainly, I've been spending a lot more time in the woods, and that helps. I don't think there was any one moment, but as, as we reap the rewards, we just want to do it more and more. It's very intoxicating, for sure. And nature. There's something about nature that connects us almost immediately with that place of inner peace, I have found. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Can I ask you, uh, how do you find your authentic self? What are the conditions under which you, you get there? At this point, I don't have a specific practice because I have learned to be open to life and kind of be receptive and open to everything that is here. I mean, it has been so helpful to when something happens, like recently my mother-in-law moved in. Right. Oh, my God. The body reacted in a very negative way in the thoughts. Oh, my God, what's going to happen now? Our routines, everything will change. And it was um, a resistance. I remember the resistance was very, very strong because I am resting 
within the chaotic stream of life. I'm just in the middle of it without fear coming from that place of the authentic self. Then it's so much easier to go back to it. So I did lose balance per se when that happened, but then I knew how to go back and just rest again and just be open to what was happening exactly as it was happening. And it still happens now. It's really something in me. It's still rejecting the situation or, you know, in certain moments, but it is going back, knowing how to go back home, as you call. I love that you said that. Yeah, a lot of it's kind of non-resistance to what is, you know, we sort of flow around it, you know, and certainly circumstances in our lives can cause us tension or, or frustration. But a lot of times I visualize like water in a stream, it comes upon the rock. It doesn't think, oh my goodness, there's a rock. I'm frustrated. It just figures out how to move around it and accept it. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. You wrote the book that we talked in our first podcast interview. It's titled Achieving Self-Compassion, Giving Yourself the Gifts of Happiness and Inner Peace. And you also have the um, My Stream of Inner Peace blog. I love that. I love that title, too. That's found on your website where you you write about inner peace and strategies, and you also have the strategies uh, for deep inner peace on your website. And this is the main topic of our conversation today, which has been already um, in, in flow. <clears throat> my other question, I, mean, I have too many here, the one that caught my attention among the topics for today's conversation is belief systems. So that has to do also, of course, with traumas. Those belief systems, limiting belief systems around trauma has been my experience too. So talk to me about how do we overcome them, if I can use that word. And when it comes to beliefs, what do we do to them? Do we replace? How do you help your clients to replace and relearn those belief systems? Thank you. What a great question. For the minute my clients walk in the door, even in the first session, I'm just trying to discover what are the beliefs that they adapted, perhaps unconsciously, from their childhood, from their life circumstances. What are the beliefs that aren't working for them? And I don't mean it's not like I'm full of myself, but I've gotten pretty good at honing in on it. Maybe people feel unworthy. Maybe people feel self-conscious. Maybe people feel like they can't trust anybody. So it's somewhere in the process, not usually the first 10 minutes, but somewhere in the process, I say to them, you know, I have this feeling that like this is what you believe. And then I identify it. And then, of course, I ask, how's it working for you? Does, does it work for you to go through life feeling like you, you never measure up? Maybe somebody's parents were judgmental or critical. And then I say to them, let's brainstorm. Let's come up with some other beliefs that it may be more functional, like I'm completely worthwhile and lovable just as I am, or I don't need to be perfect, or I can trust people, or it's okay to love myself. I don't have to feel guilty about feeling joyful. Let's come up with some new beliefs, and then I encourage them to, to try them on and see how well they work. And I say to them, you know, if things fall apart in your life, you can always go back to your own beliefs, old beliefs, but that never happens. So it's a process of trying on new beliefs to see how they work. But on a deeper level, many people have a lot of difficulty, especially if these are subconscious or unconscious beliefs. So I've developed two strategies that I love and seem to work well. One is to help people develop mantras. When we talked the first time, we talked about talking to yourself like you're your own best friend. But people need to develop very clear, focused mantras. I'm lovable. I'm worthwhile. I can be protect myself and be safe without being anxious. I can let go of, of old 
experiences that, that haunt me, um, that they say to themselves over and over and over again, they're really rewiring their deepest parts of their psyche. I think it like computer programming. It takes a lot of effort to reprogram a computer. And people are often most receptive to these mantras when they're meditating, when they're feeling peaceful, uh, maybe when they're doing yoga or walking in the woods. Um, one of my biggest fears is I'm going to turn into my dad. My dad could be very loving, but he had a terrible temper. He didn't treat my mom well. So whenever I behave in ways that remind me of my dad, I feel these waves of shame. So I say to myself over and over again, you're not your dad, buddy. I love you. You know, and even if I behave a little bit like my dad might have, I can change that. I can switch that. I can almost feel the healing within me. I can't put it into words, but I could almost feel like something that's not right deep within my psyche getting corrected. The mantras often work, but sometimes people need a more detailed script. I say to people, what would you like to say to your unconscious? How are you going to reprogram your psyche? And I have them actually write out a script that maybe they read to themselves or they make a video where they talk to themselves in a loving way, where they proclaim their new beliefs or different ways of looking at the world. And then they play them over and over again. Again, people just don't do enough of it. And as you well know, most human unhappiness, that these, the stuff we create is because of dysfunctional beliefs. So it's really a matter of just finding beliefs and perceptions that work for us. It's not very complicated. Just finding them and then practice them over, practicing them over and over till they become so hardwired, they're like second nature. That's really what's the most healing thing, I think, about a lot of my work with people. Just helping them develop ways of looking at themselves in the world that work. That's all. It makes so much sense and it sounds very simple to me, but I know it's, uh, it takes commitment Right, Nate, and trust, I would say. It really, too. really does, and it's awareness. It's awareness. You know, if I have a client that's constantly working all the time, I'm trying to prove themselves, I might say to them, Do you, did you feel like when you were a child, consciously, unconsciously, you never measured up to earn your parents' love? And the look on their face of, aha. And then I say, you know, how your parents treated you had nothing to do with your worth. You're always worthwhile and lovable. And do you really want to spend your entire life trying to win the approval of somebody that maybe can't give it. And your worth isn't dependent on it anyway. It's very powerful. It's just very powerful. Even listening to you now, as much as I know about these things, it's powerful reminder of that. I love the way you said that just now. It's really kind of touched me in that place that's still kind of trying to understand these things in the sense of um, where I came from, trauma. Exactly. And trauma survivors is just more challenging because, of course, kids that are mistreated internalize it and they usually blame themselves. So, you know, a lot of my work with trauma survivors is visualizations, meditations, obviously a lot of self-love. But, you know, for trauma survivors, their limbic systems are firing off to protect them all the time. That's what our minds do. That's how we survived 200,000 years, our minds, our limbic systems firing off. So with trauma survivors, when they feel anxious or overwhelmed, what they need to be able to do is to calm their limbic systems down by saying, look, I've got this. Like, I'm okay. Thank you very much for trying to warn me about danger, but I'm safe. And I do a lot of visualization around that. We can't always stop the limbic system, our fight-flight part of our brain, from firing off, but we can convince it that we're okay. I, I do a lot of work with trauma survivors, and again, it's a lot more complicated than just saying be happy. I'm talking about sometimes years' worth of intensive work together to help them get to the place 
where their trauma no, no longer overwhelms and defines their life. I do have a question for you about the difference between values and beliefs, Nate. That's the question that I often ask some of my guests, not all of them. I would say it's it's a great question. I would say the difference between is beliefs can really be about anything, you know, about how we see the world, how we see ourselves, et cetera. Values, obviously, as you well know, is a matter of sort of what's right or what's wrong. That may sound simplistic, but it's what are we striving for? What's most important to us? Uh, what do we want to put our focus on? And I, I think just like we need to focus on changing our beliefs, sometimes we need to change what's important to us. You know, maybe we're a workaholic and we want to make a lot of money and, and get married, but our spouse is home in bed. And, and you know, maybe we need to, to change what we value. Maybe we don't need to value making money so much as we do being a caring and loving spouse. So we need to shift our values as we go along, but both both are essential for sure. And just like with beliefs, we can ask ourselves, are our values working for us? Maybe we value being in charge of being in control all the times of other people of other people, but maybe that leads us to be frustrated. So we constantly need to be assessing the validity of both our beliefs and our values. Is the authentic self also the uh, what do you call the inner knowing and also the inner voice, intuition? Are they? all one and the same, Nate? I would say they're a little different. The inner voice is how we choose what we focus on. I say to my clients, imagine you're uh, on a sunny beach and how and think of how that feels. And then I say, well, now imagine you're stuck in a snowstorm or stuck in the mud. And then I ask them, who did the switching? Our inner voice is sort of what Michael Singer calls the seat of our consciousness. It's, it's our ability to talk to ourselves. And it's a very distinct part of ourselves. Our inner knowing um, is a little different, at least for me. Our inner knowing is our wisdom, is our instinct, is our true self. And for me, the inner knowing is part of our authentic self, but it's a part I turn to if I'm trying to decide whether to move towards something or move away from something. If I'm trying to, to decide sort of where to spend my time and energy, I tune into this inner knowing, and it's never wrong. If I get too caught up in my thoughts, my worries, maybe trying to control things I can't control, I often feel like my mind's kind of in a tizzy. When I tune into my inner knowing, it's like a lighthouse. It guides me. And sometimes I'm not sure. And I put it in a place inside myself I call my notch. I'm not sure why I call it that. But I put it into this place and I just wait for the answer. I think we've all had this experience. We're lying in bed at three o'clock in the morning, around and around and around, feeling like there's no solution. And then we wake up the next day and we're in the shower or walking on the beach, as I know you and Chris said like to do. And all of a sudden, the answer comes to you. That's our inner knowing. And clearly, the happiest people, the most peaceful people, use their inner voice to tune into their authentic self. And rather than go around and around in their heads about things, turn into this deeper knowing and wisdom that's always there. We always have access to it. We just need to pay attention to it. Okay, so the inner knowing is what we call intuition. It sounds like the yes. same. Is that clear? It's a little bit esoteric, but it's it's this, yes, it's instinct, it's knowledge. It's not only our knowledge, it's kind of the wisdom of the ages. It's a stream of knowledge 
that we can sort of tap into both our own experience, but what everybody else learned before us as well. It's kind of in our genes for sure. Mm, yeah, that resonates true. Let me read something that you wrote. You say, uh, non-resistance to what is enable us to eliminate stress, effectively resolve problems and go with the flow of our lives. I mean, everything you say, of course, has resonance and I agree a trillion percent. But there's something about non-resistance that for navigating this reality really helps me, as I mentioned earlier. And to me, it's almost like the difference between following fear and being in the realm of fear or in the realm of love, of freedom. How does, how does non-resistance translate for you into love? Is it just tuning into your inner light? How does it translate into love for you? That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I say the same thing. I probably said that earlier. It's um, being open. That There's something about, you know, some people relate to the heart, opening the heart to whatever it is that's happening that we are trying to resist to, or the mind is, some parts of us are trying to resist to. I feel in love when I am open to life, right. when I'm here with you talking and whatever happens, whatever you say, if you disagree, agree, whatever it is, it's okay. And I'm just open to it. That to me is love. With, without a doubt. And, and when we're focused on when we resist what is, we're angry, we're agitated, yeah, right. we're fooling, right. we feel scarcity in our lives. It's a lot of negative energy. Years ago, because I care so much about creating a better world, if somebody said it is what it is, I would have felt like, come on, that's a little self-serving. But what I've come to realize is non-resistance doesn't mean we don't take action. Obviously, non-resistance just means we let go of what we can't change. And it actually frees us up to do what we can do. And that's where the love comes in. We can always be more loving. There's a man named Dan Gottlieb, who's a psychologist here in Philadelphia, who has been a paraplegic since he was in his 20s. And he was had fallen out of his wheelchair and he was lying in a hospital room feeling angry and he he he's about his life situation. And I heard him speak a couple of times and he really brought me to tears both times. He said all of a sudden he realized he could still love and be loved. And that was everything. And I would feel for anybody in a wheelchair for sure. I'm not saying la di da, but he didn't want to spend his life being angry. And it's so non-resistance really is love, whether it's accepting our partners as they really are. It doesn't mean we don't fight for social justice or pick up litter or try to be good parents. It doesn't mean we say la-di-da. <laughs> but we can change. And when we're our best selves, we inspire other people to do it as well. When we're free, when we're in our authentic selves, our, our bright light can be picked up by other people. I'm certainly not always there. Your bright light is very inspiring to me, for sure. And so yours, Nate. It's so true. You see, it resonates like deeply true, what you just said, the way you communicated the message clearly, that when we open, we are open to life, then there's no resistance. Then we are able to take action on the things that we have not only control over, we can say it that way, but the things that we can change, clearly we can change. So I think it's a shift in focus. That's what it is. It's something happens to the mind that it's almost like, to me, is a shift. I call it shift into kindness. So oh, inspired by kindness. I even say inspired by love. There's a flavor of kindness. So when I'm dealing with challenging situations, and that's what I see because I'm open. And if I was not open, then 
it would have been so much more difficult. Without a doubt. And I love the fact that I can always shift something within myself. I've never had a relationship problem in my life. I couldn't make better by shifting something in me. Maybe I need to be more loving. Maybe I need to set limits and boundaries. Maybe I need to be tell somebody the hard truth about how I see the situation. But that's where the authentic self comes in, because if we're aligned with who we deeply are, we can look within and make whatever shifts we need to make. Obviously, there's so much we can't change in the outside world, but we can always shift our energy. We can always be more kind and loving, as you say. We can always give ourselves more self-compassion. We have that total choice at every moment. And that, for me, is freedom. And that's what I love best about life, for sure. Mm, Yeah, beautifully said. Yes. I have too many topics here, but let me ask this one, this question about the obstacles to trusting that the inner knowing. What have you found there? What are some of the obstacles we face when it comes to trusting that inner knowing, that inner voice? Certainly societal pressures about how we should be. Maybe somebody drew pictures of birds when they were a kid and that's brought them peace and happiness and joy. And then they got to be an adolescent. They were teased and bullied and maybe they stopped doing it out of shame. So and maybe they walked into a therapist's office in college and the therapist said, when do you feel peaceful? And they said, drawing birds. If somebody said that in my office, I'd pull out a piece of paper and draw a picture of a bird. Societal pressures, expectations, judgments, feeling shamed. Clearly, we don't have the right to do anything harmful to anybody else. When we talk about following our, our internal bliss, it's not about taking somebody else's tomatoes. You know, it just felt useful taking our tomatoes. But it's, it's, it's the pressures. Um, and frankly, I think a lot of people feel like it's selfish to be happy. They don't deserve happiness. They don't deserve peace. They don't deserve to be authentic. But we all do. There's not a human being that's ever walked the face of this earth that doesn't mean, doesn't deserve to be happy. Now you say, well, what about a sociopath? Well, maybe if they were happy and peaceful, they wouldn't do the things they've done. So it's just kind of who we listen to um, as an obstacle. I think clearly an, another really, really big obstacle, as I've said a couple of times, is people just don't focus enough on what they really need and want in their lives to feel fulfilled. Maybe they're too busy taking care of everybody else around them. Maybe they're too busy fitting in with the Joneses or having a perfect lawn or impressing their relatives. It's it's really leaving behind all of those pressures and, and, and knowing, as you say so many times on a deep level, the most important thing is to love ourselves and be kind to other people. What do you think some of the obstacles are? Why, if this is you know so easy to do, like, why do so many people really struggle to be authentic, to find that peace. What do you what do you see as the blockages? Oh my God, Nate, you named um, a lot of them, and which to me has to do with trauma. I think I would say trauma. If I could say use one word for the obstacles, it would be one obstacle, which it's very complex, as you know. You know, trauma can come from so many directions. So yeah, I would say trauma. So it's um, uncovering that. Yeah, and when we're traumatized, our lives are of our protection. Right. And when right. our lives are of our protection, right. how can we feel a free spirit if right. we constantly feel fearful mm. of danger around us? That's it. Yeah. Right. Have you heard that that love and fear, they don't occupy the same space, that they are the opposites? I have heard that before. And- oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe a kid was very, very loving towards their parents um, and they they were abused or, or they were somehow neglected or they were mistreated. And so for them, they may associate love with like a negative thing. And that maybe that's creates fear, you know? 
So there are so many sources for fear, so many. And it's almost like this ongoing, unfolding journey has been my case, just uncovering the fears within the the conditioned mind and body. It has been interesting to watch that. Well, I'm so so glad. And in your book, you write so brilliantly about your own challenges and struggles to overcome your own trauma. And I was so inspired by that, for sure. I think about that a lot. And I'm inspired about your life, too. So many things that you've been through, one of which it has to do with the questions. I was reading on your blog about the questions. I think the blog post is called Give Yourself the Gift of Inner Peace. Right. And then there's a, a, a section there that the counselor asked you and your wife, why don't you choose to be peaceful and happy regardless of the challenges you face with Nikki? Right. So I think this is a good moment for you to talk to me, to us, about your experience with your daughter. Yeah, uh, my wife and I uh, have a, had a daughter who was born 34 years ago who has a form of autism called Rett syndrome. And she cried a lot as a baby. She didn't like to be held. She didn't make eye contact. And we were very much fearful of her future we were very stressed out by not knowing how to take care of her. Uh, you know, we were also always searching for, for some respite. And we went to this treatment program called the Option Institute in Massachusetts that works with families and children with autism. And they asked us this question that really changed our lives. I remember like it was yesterday, uh, the woman who ran the program looked at us and smiled and said, what are you afraid would happen if you let go of your fear, of your anxiety? I was stunned by the question because it never occurred to me I had an option. It was as if, as if we were in a maze of darkness to sound a little bit dramatic. And this question opened up a door, opened up a window. And I think I looked at her and I said, well, maybe if I wasn't stressed out, I, I wouldn't do a good job taking care of her. Or people would think I didn't care about her. And then she smiled and said, why don't you keep doing all the wonderful things you're doing, but choose peace and happiness instead? And at the risk of sounding dramatic, It was life-changing. I think we had also reached a point where there was nowhere else to go. A lot of trauma survivors, a lot of people that deal with difficulty in their life, they really reach a point where there's nowhere else to go but into the realm of healing and and peace and happiness. And I remember thinking, like, I can do that. My stress and anxiety are not helping anybody. And I did choose peace and happiness. It also taught us how to do a home-based treatment program. And we did it for six to eight to 10 hours a day for about three years of trying to get her on her feet. And she learned to do a lot of new things. But I remember I came home and my mom, who I loved dearly, came over and she looked at me and she said, you look the same and you talk the same, but you're a different person. And I was. I really was. I use this question judiciously with my clients. Again, if somebody's going through a major trauma, I'm not going to say, oh, what happened if you let go of all of your upsetness? Outside of trauma, one of the most healing curative moments I have with clients is to simply ask them, what would happen if you chose peace? What would happen if you let go of your fear? And they look at me puzzled because they don't think that they have that choice. But then they disclose their reasons. Well, maybe if I wasn't anxious, I wouldn't be safe or take good care of myself. Maybe if I didn't have fear, something terrible would happen to me. And then and this is really the key moment. I convince them. I can be pretty convincing. I don't mean to like full of myself, but I can be pretty convincing. I say to them, try on peace and happiness. Try on letting go of your fears and your worries and see what happens. 
see what happens. I, I say, I promise you, you can still look out for danger. You can still take care of yourself. You're not going to go running out in, in, in a lightning storm. You're not going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Again, our Olympic systems fly or have to protect us. But these questions enable us to realize we can give ourselves the freedom of inner peace. And I encourage them to, to ask themselves that question at any given moment if they're stressed out. What would happen if I wasn't stressed out? Now, sometimes it involves making a plan. You know, I had a stent about 15 years ago and almost died. I had a blocked artery and I used to get really anxious about my heart health. But I have a plan. Eat well, exercise, take my medicine, try to be calm. So every single time I feel stressed, I just say, I love you, buddy. Stick with the plan. Mm. It, it helps to plan in life. You know, I don't want to be out yeah. there eating cheeseburgers all day. That's, <laughs> that's not going to help me. Right? There's a very, very powerful question. And that's how we use our inner voice to ask ourselves those questions. That question, yeah, caught my attention. Like, I paused for a while when I read that. What am I afraid would happen if I let go of my stress? And even calling that, right, my stress, almost like you were holding on to it as yours. Well, exactly. Well, we give, clearly some stress comes from within. I mean, right now, if your house caught on fire, you'd probably feel like a little stress. Some stress and anxiety we can't control. But in large part, we give ourselves stress and anxiety because we believe we need it to take care of ourselves, to reach our goals, to be safe. But we really don't. We really don't. And I bring this into my visualizations with people because I was working with a woman years ago and she had a lot of fear. She was a trauma survivor and her limbic system was always firing off. And I had her sitting by the side of this lake in the visualization. And I said to her, what would happen if the woods caught on fire right now? Would you still be able to protect yourself? And she looked at me and smiled and said, of course. And I said to her, please give yourself the gift of peace and know you can still take care of yourself. You can still avoid danger because that's that's what trauma survivors go through. They're always trying to be safe. So that question really goes a long way. That really gets to the heart of it for sure. What a beautiful work you do, Nate. Thank you so much for going deeper into it and finding all these strategies and gaining insights and passing them on to us. It's just a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. And speaking of visualizations, there's one that you mentioned uh, for highly sensitive people. Yeah. I would love to hear that. Yeah. As a highly sensitive person that feels things deeply and, and wants everybody to love me and and often feels like I go up and down based on my last conversation with somebody, I developed this visualization and I would love to share it. Yeah, please. So I use this with my clients all the time. I say, imagine you're living in this town and I have the town in New Mexico just because I love New Mexico. And I say, there's a fence around this town and everybody's identity in this town is based on their relationships, is based on their ability to take care of other people. Nobody has an individual sense of identity of who they are. And I say, let's imagine you become, you're going to decide you're going to become the super caregiver and you spend years and years ministering to the needs of everybody around you. And then one day you're not feeling well or you're tired and you sit underneath the tree and you're shamed for being selfish, for not caregiving anymore. And you feel hurt and exhausted and frustrated and you wander around the edge of town as it gets dark and then you see a hole in the fence. And you slip through this hole 
And all of a sudden, you're standing out in the desert, and there's a big full moon, bright stars, you can find your way. You feel free. There's nobody to take care of except yourself. You feel unburdened. So you walk across the desert, and you start walking up this mountain path, and you find an abandoned cabin. And you go inside the cabin, it has everything you want and need. And you sit on the front steps of this cabin in a rocking chair and meditate and find a sea and an ocean of inner peace. You tune into your deep inner world. Eventually, you go into this comfortable bed and fall asleep. You wake up refreshed the next day. You fix up your cabin just as you wanted. You live out your bliss. You play the guitar that's in the corner of the cabin. You journal, you sing, you walk on the side of the mountain. After a couple days, you start to feel, oh my goodness, what about all those people I used to take care of? So you go back into the town and you're astonished to find everybody seems to be doing okay. A few people noticed you're gone, but you realize the town can exist without you. So you return to the sanctity excitedly of your own cabin. It's your own aesthetic self, your own inner world. And rather than decide take on the responsibility for everybody's happiness, you start inviting selected people to your cabin to minister to their needs, people you know you can help, but you set limits and boundaries. You say, look, I still want to, to wrap this up. You do what you can, but you don't take it all on. And actually, other people are relieved that you don't take on all of their pain. We can't help, we don't help people when we take on all of their pain. So you actually begin to be seen as kind of a mystic, kind of a visionary leader. And people come to you and you give them what you can, but your life is defined by your existence in your own world. You help other people find their own cabins and eventually the entire town disbands and everybody builds their own little unique cabin and you come together for campfires and for community. But again, when I do this with my clients, I have them meditate and tune into this deeper part within themselves. Because again, too much of my life has been defined by other people. I love people, but for far too long, I've allowed my insecurities to make me feel like, oh, I, I have to have everybody like me, or what if people are mad at me or whatever. I love the freedom of my internal world. And every day I live, I'm 68 years old, I spend more and more time in my own cabin. And again, it doesn't make me selfish or conceited or self-centered. It actually fills me with an abundance of love and care I can pass on to other people. So I don't mean to go on too much with that metaphor, but I think about that a lot. I think the goal for all of our lives is to find that inner peace, as I've said a couple of times, and we can still be loving and caring. We can still help other people in any way we can. We just do it in a way that really works for us. And we actually have even more to give because we're not exhausted and burnout. What can I say, Nate? I love, love, love your wisdom. To me, it's being open, and that's what it is. You're open to get to know yourself, to meet that authentic self, and, and to expand from there, from that place. It's the most beautiful thing. Thank you so much again for being you. Well, thank you for all the love and care you sent that into the world. I love our conversations. I love your book. I listen to many of your podcasts. I've learned so much. I've connected with a lot of the people, and, and you, as much as anybody I know, really amplify the love and care that, that you write about and that you inspire in so many other people. So it's an honor and a privilege to, privilege to have this second podcast with you. And I'm even more deeply committed to being my best self and 
Just spreading love and compassion far and wide, for sure. Thank you so much for your support, too. You're such a wonderful friend, a distant friend. I always think that way. As I mentioned off record, there you came and you visited my husband and I, and you never left us. Your presence has been here, yeah, strongly. It's really beautiful, Nate. I keep saying that because it is. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you so much. So before I ask you my final question, I would like you to um, just to make sure we went through all these strategies for inner peace, for deep inner peace, deeper inner peace. I have the ones on your website because you have them there, the strategies there. Be your own best friend. And I know you mentioned earlier in your book, you had other strategies there that I have here somewhere. Oh, yeah, the ones, chapter eight, that is tune into your authentic self. That's the main topic today. But chapter eight, you describe it really well. And you have some of the strategies there. So I have them here if you want to go through them. But I would like to also mention some others that you sent it to me or I read on your website. Enjoying the moment you're in. I love that one. And then you say also be totally appreciating every good thing in in your life. Meet your needs rather than projecting them onto others. Eliminate negative reactions. So those are basic ones too. And uh, being in the moment, that's a, a, a huge one for me. But talk to me about some of the other strategies that we didn't mention today. Maybe well, one we didn't mention, we mentioned this in the first, po- first podcast we did, but knowing we're inherently worthwhile, period. We don't have to earn it by how we look or how much money we make or how far we go in life. Every single human being, I believe, is inherently worthy. Now, some people are more helpful to society than others, for sure. But underneath, we're all worthwhile. And it's it's a state of being rather than doing so much of life, so much of being our and our authentic self is just being. It's not some endless goal we have to accomplish it's, it really doesn't take a lot of energy to tune inward, to love ourselves deeply, to know we're worthwhile. And again, it's not from a place of conceit or arrogance. I know I'm no better than anybody else. Having a 34-year-old daughter with special needs really helps me have a sense of humility. And I realize life's not all about accomplishments. My daughter's perfect as she is, and she's loving and has a lot of light within her, even though she has no language and needs a lot of care. So for all you listeners out there, please Give yourself the gift of knowing you're worthy. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's just true. And that gives us the basis of deep self-compassion and self-love that frees us to be our most loving self for other people, for sure. Thank you for that reminder again, that powerful reminder, Nate. That's interesting. Like we need to be reminded of these things. It's almost like borrowing that inner voice from the other person. (laughs) So I listen to my inner voice through you. That's what it feels like. I think we all know these things instinctively. We just have to practice them again. We just have to make them the focus of our lives. It's just we have to just put energy into experiencing it. And again, it's hard to put into words because being deeply in our authentic self is such a rich experience. It defies words, just like universal consciousness or spiritual energy, or if you're religious, this is your sense of God. These are really, really deep concepts that's transcend words. It's just a feeling. It's just an experience that's just beautiful and expansive. And when I'm in my deep internal self, my authentic self, it's not only my peace. I feel the wisdom and peace and love of everybody. When I'm in my stream of inner peace, it's not just my stream. 
I like the uniqueness of my authentic self, but I just feel like I'm tuning into a universal energy. In a lot of ways, I feel like people like you and me that care so much about giving, we're just taking love and light from everywhere we can in the universe and just passing it on. It's not ours. We're just tuning into an, an expansiveness of love and consciousness. I have two questions for you, the last ones. One's a technical question, but before that, what is one message you wish the listeners to take with them to live by from this conversation? If there is one message, there are so many, but if there is one, what would that be? The greatest gift you can give yourself is self-love, self-compassion, and great self-care. And as you fill yourself with it, again, you'll find you have an abundance that you can pass on to other people. It's not an either or. You can be deeply loving and deeply compassionate to others at the same time. And that, for me, is what makes life worth living. It's not just all about finding my inner spirit. It's about tuning into that so I can be a resource to other people. And that's a focus. That's a choice we can make every second of our lives. Thank you again, Nate. It's just Thank you so, uh, much. so beautiful to hear that. Thank you. And my last technical question before we say goodbye is where can we find more information about you, your books, uh, products, services, and future projects? My website is www.achievingselfcompassion.com. Um, I've been doing a more of my coaching business. If listeners are interested in coaching, you can go to my website and sign up for coaching. My book, Achieving Self-Compassion, as you mentioned earlier, is available at Amazon. I do have strategies, as you say, listed on my website. I love to meet with like-minded people, whether as clients or just colleagues. My wife always encouraged me to find my own people, and I've, I've done that. So I have a network of people just as you do. But I love to connect with people. So anybody who'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to my website where you can find my email. And I look forward to being in contact. I love connecting with like-minded people. Mm. It's my sort of my mission in life. Mm. You now have those links on your podcast profile, the book link uh, to Amazon and also your website address. Thank you so much again, Nate, and we'll talk soon. I look forward to it. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Nate Terrell and his work, please visit AchievingSelfCompassion.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.